Welcome to the Fern Podcast, As the Season Turns. Released on the first of the month, each episode will follow the changing landscape of the seasons, from the moon and the stars to the tides and the trees. I'm Leah Landertz, author of The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide, and this podcast is a collaboration between myself and Fern, makers of small-batch organic perfume, who blend, barrel-age and bottle four fragrances a year, released at the equinoxes and solstices. I love wearing fern. In my quest to live in tune with the seasons, applying the season's perfume is a lovely little ritual that reminds me to use all of my senses. We hope that this brief guide to the month ahead will awaken you to the rhythms of the year and help you to settle deeper into the seasons. The Sunrise On June the 1st, sunrise is at 4.18am in Inverness and at 5.13am in Padstow. And it is about to get earlier as we reach the longest day on the 21st. On the solstice, the sun will rise 11 minutes earlier at 4.17am in Inverness and 6 minutes earlier at 5.07 in Padstow. The Northern Hemisphere will then be at its maximum tilt towards the Sun. It is a good moment in the year to think about all of this tilting, tipping and rotating, and about the nature of sunrise itself. The way we experience our world means that we see ourselves as being the constant, with everything else moving around us. But of course that isn't true at all. The Sun doesn't actually get any hotter in summer. The Earth orbits the Sun on a tilt, so that at the summer solstice our hemisphere is tilted directly towards it. Its rays then travel through less atmosphere to reach us, and therefore feel warmer. Our days are also longer, as our tilt means that the Sun floods over the Arctic, lighting up the northern hemisphere. But it's not the Sun doing it, it's all about us. Likewise, the Sun doesn't rise or set, of course. Just as we orbit around the sun through the year creating the seasons, so we also spin daily on our own axis, creating our very own night and day. So should you be up early enough to greet the sun rising this month, remember that what you are actually experiencing is yourself, spinning through space, facing the star that your world rotates around. In the pond. Water lilies are spreading themselves out across the surface of the water and may produce their first flowers this month. They may be the stars of the show, they are not the only flowers. Water forget me not, water buttercups, water mint, and marsh marigolds are all in flower. Solitary bees visit them for pollen, but also make trips to the muddy edge of the pond for mud to seal their nests. The pond level may be dropping now if the weather is dry. On still, warm days, the surface is busy with pond skaters, flicking and gliding, their feet splayed so that they do not break the surface tension, merely dimpling the water 
as they read it for vibrations that tell them prey is nearby. The air above the pond is humming with life. Mayflies have been living as larvae in the mud at the bottom of the pond for up to three years, feeding on algae, strengthening themselves for this moment. The signal is a warm summer's day, whereupon they hatch, carry out their mating dance above the water, breed, lay eggs, and then, as the sun sets, die, falling lifeless to the surface of the water. All of this in the space of a few hours, and from one of the earliest winged insects. They have been playing out this anticlimactic life cycle since before the dinosaurs. Mosquito and midge larvae also hatch from the pond this month, and many are snapped up by adult frogs, which can sit very still on lily pads or at the edge of the water and hook them in with their long, sticky tongues, or by spotted flycatchers or pipistrelle bats. In larger ponds, this is often the month when ducklings will hatch and take to the water, fluffily following the leader along the duckweed paths. Their mother will teach them how to dive so as to forage at the bottom of the pond, which is now bristling with the larvae of craneflies, whirligig beetles, midges, gnats and mayflies, a nutritious scoop for a young duck. The other babies now finding their feet are the froglets that have completed their metamorphosis and are exploring the weedy and muddy edges of the pond. In the ornamental garden this month, roses, foxgloves, sweet peas, ladies' mantle, peonies, lavender, elderflowers, bee orchid, lilies, ornamental alliums, oriental poppies, nautia macedonica, scabious, hardy geraniums, borage, astrantia, marigolds, clove pinks, pelagoniums, petunias, lobelia, and fuchsia. In the edible garden, strawberries, gooseberries, black currants, cherries, loganberries, raspberries, red currants, rhubarb, asparagus, globe artichokes, broad beans, peas and mange too, new potatoes, chives, basil and mint. The Herbarium at her desk, the writer examines a glass bottle, turning it in her hands. The liquid inside is pale yellow, the plant within infusing it slowly with colour. She holds it up to the light and, satisfied, sets it down on the table to note down her findings. St John's wort was a plant of the sun god, and its yellow rays of petals are at their brightest and most potent around the summer solstice. St John's Day falls just after the solstice, on the 24th of June, a busy day for all of St John's herbs. These would be picked, still dewy, before sunrise, and later smoked over purifying fires to enhance their protective powers. In Elizabethan times, many a doorway would be decorated on this day, with St John's wort entwined with birch, fennel, orpine, mugwort and other plants of high summer, all excellent defence against evil sprites. 
St John's Wort is also famed for keeping evil sprites not just from the house but from the head and for healing wounds of all kinds. There is a long tradition of infusing oils and alcohols with the flowers and leaves. The latter appear to be dotted with tiny perforations that show when held to the light, but these are really glands. If you pick your St John's Wort in the sunshine on St John's Day, you will be able to watch your infusion turn from yellow to a deep blood red like the setting sun as the plant releases its magical oils. Despite its potency, St John's Wort is not a fussy plant. I have found it on the edges of tracks, on waste ground, even at an abandoned brickworks where it grows in abundance on a meagre layer of lichenous soil, making a yellow field in June. It pays to take care though. The plant is said to move away from you if you reach with intent to pick. Even worse, if you tread on the plant, a fairy horse will rise up under you, take you on a wild ride through the night and at dawn deposit you far from home. There aren't many English names for St John's Wort, but the most evocative can be found nearby in Europe. It is Caccia Diavola in Italy and Chasse Diabola in France for its ability to scare off the devil and all other evil spirits. Demon lovers may be dispatched by wearing the flowers under your dress and packed in your left armpit, it will ward off the evil eye. A less wholesome use is given in Reginald Scott's The Discovery of Witchcraft from 1584. Should you wish to raise the ghost of a hanged man, you will need a hazel wand tipped with an owl's head and a bundle of St John's wort. Whether you wish to ward off evil spirits of the home or the head, a June garland of St John's wort with her fellow saints' flowers of mugwort, yarrow, vervain and corn marigold is a bright and beautiful way to celebrate our summer solstice and bring the sun inside. June's Island, Iona, 56.34 degrees north, 6.4 degrees west, 58 kilometres west of Oban, Scotland, 160 kilometres north of Derry, Northern Ireland, population 170. A chip of rock off the southwest corner of Mull, wind-blown Iona is barely three miles long, Another island in this series whose history and reputation far outstrip her size. At two removes from the mainland, to arrive there one must first take a ferry to Mull, then another to Iona. Part of the island's appeal today is her remoteness. But while now we travel mainly by road, until the 18th century the fastest mode of transport was the ocean. And when travelling by sea, Iona was a convenient stop between Ireland and Scotland, and lay in the path of trade routes further afield. So while a journey to Iona, which sits directly in the path of Atlantic gales, was never without risk, in a seafaring age the island would not have felt so peripheral, despite its location at the westerly edge of the known world. 
Iona's early medieval power came from the Peregrinati, pilgrim monks who set out from newly Christian Ireland to seek salvation. Inspired by the asceticism of the Egyptian desert fathers, these Peregrinati ascribed to a pessimistic doctrine in which few believers would be saved, meaning resurrected at the second coming of Christ. So they sought a green desert where they could prove themselves truly holy, renouncing all pleasures of the flesh and dedicating themselves to a spiritual life. Iona's grim climate and grey rocks, her barely green turf and, once in a while, her heart-stopping beauty, answered this purpose perfectly. One such pilgrim was Colm Killer, an Irish prince now better known as Saint Columba, whose Saint's Day falls on the 9th of June. This year will be the 1,502nd anniversary of his birth. Exiled from Ireland by tribal conflict, Colmkiller arrived on Iona in the year 563, sailing in coracles with twelve companions. Here Colmkiller founded a monastery that would change the course of British history, bringing Celtic Christianity to Scotland and Northern England, and creating an artistic legacy that endures today. Perhaps the most potent reminder of Iona's time as a cultural centre is the Book of Kells, now kept at Trinity College, Dublin, a mesmerising religious manuscript from around 800 AD, vibrantly illustrated with an overwhelming variety of animals, saints and scenes from Christ's life, clearly inspired by a range of Mediterranean cultures. These illustrations flow in parallel to the text, further illuminating its meaning very much a part of the whole. Its symbolic geometric patterns are remarkable and unique, with some spirals drawn so tightly that it has been impossible to copy them. A firm testament to the island's centrality in a thriving Gaelic culture. You may wish to pause the podcast here for a moment while you find somewhere warm and quiet to close your eyes, sit back and settle down just for a minute into this month's Found Sound. For June's Found Sound, I travel to Wakehurst, a 535-acre botanic garden in the heart of Sussex. Sister to Kew Gardens, this landscape spans a range of ecosystems. Join me on this sonic journey from woodland to wetland. I began by walking through the water gardens admiring the ferns, buttercups and daisies along the banks of the stream. As I walked further, I was greeted by a pheasant. As I walked into the Westwood Valley, a steep ravine inspired by the eastern Himalayan landscape, 
I found myself among rhododendrons, limes, magnolias, maples, alders and oaks, as well as the many birds that were enjoying the canopy. I made my way to Wakehurst's wetlands boardwalk, a tranquil, secluded area of water and wetland plants brimming with life. Using my hydrophone, I was able to hear the ecosystem under the surface of the water. I was pleasantly surprised to hear for the very first time the sound of a tadpole having a nibble on the microphone. Mark the summer solstice. Cut sprigs of herbs that dry well, such as oregano, thyme, mint, marjoram, rosemary and bay, and hang them up in bunches somewhere airy to dry, and for you to use throughout winter. Herbs were traditionally gathered in this way at midsummer, when they are at their best, ideally at dawn, but that's pretty early at the moment. Collect flowers to make into posies to give to friends or to have around your house in jam jars. Include roses, lavender, oregano, cornflowers, herb robert, honeysuckle, red campion, oxeye daisy and whatever you can find. Tie with colourful ribbons. Hang prisms on your sunniest windows to capture the solstice sunlight and turn it into rainbows. June's Perfume Ingredient This month in Fern's Somerset Studio, the team is preparing for the exciting launch of Summer 23, the first fragrance to blend Osmanthus and Rose. You may remember Osmanthus, a beautifully scented shrub much beloved in China from Winter 23. But in Summer 23 it takes centre stage, creating a juicy stone fruit scent that marries beautifully with the delicate power of Rose Otto. Rose Otto is a light, delicate oil known for its cheering and nurturing properties. It's extracted from the large, bright pink damask rose, which has long been a symbol of the city of Damascus in Syria. Thought to be the oldest inhabited city in the world, Damascus was long known as the Fragrant City, or al Fayha for the stunning orchards and gardens that surrounded it. Things are sadly different now, but the legend of the damask rose lives on and has been inherited by the Rose Valley in Bulgaria, where our roses are grown and distilled. They are hand-picked in the early mornings, before they open and lose their scent, and must be quickly distilled. Some pickers even take their copper stills to the fields, heating the roses over wood fires to extract the few precious drops of liquid gold that each bloom yields.
The Sunset On Midsummer Eve the twilight is at its longest and at its best. Bedewed and coloured peach and blue, it's easy to sense the thinning boundaries between our world and the others. Many cultures have long believed that the summer solstice is a moment of magic, when fairies find it easy to cross into our realm, a tradition many of us are familiar with from Shakespeare, though strictly speaking the action of a Midsummer Night's Dream takes place on May Day Eve. An account from 1723 suggests that the air is infectious with devils, spirits, ghosts and hobgoblins, though of course the night will be short and the following day long, so there's time to recover from any fairy mischief. At the northernmost tip of Britain, the sun barely sets at all around the solstice. In Shetland, the quality of light that's produced by this is called the simmer-dim, an often beautiful twilight created by the sun as it dips briefly below the horizon. Shetlanders have long celebrated this bewitching spectacle with community-centred parties and bonfires, or quieter rituals like camping out or a midnight walk. One such Shetland sunset ritual engages with an important midsummer tradition, love-telling. A young couple would each pick a stalk of ribwort plantain, stripping it of its tiny florets. Wrapping the stalks carefully in a dock leaf, they would place them in secret beneath a rock at sunset, under the light of the simmer dim. If the florets reappeared before the stalks withered, it was a sign that the couple would marry. You could try this yourself, adapting it to perform with a friend, a family member, or alone if you like. Choose one unopened wildflower, only taking what you need, for each person, and wrap the stems in a dock leaf. Then make a wish as you place them beneath a rock or an old flower pot at sunset on Midsummer Eve. Your wish could be to do with love or marriage, but if that's not for you just now, then choose something that is. Keep an eye on your flowers over the next few days to see if they bloom. If they do, your wish or intention will be fulfilled. If not, then perhaps you need to try something else, but don't set too much store by this ritual. It may be that the fairies have interfered. The Moon June's full moon falls this year on the 4th at 4.42am. As this is in the early hours of the morning, to catch it at its fullest during normal waking hours, you might want to view it the night before. June's full moon is known as the Rose Moon or Dyad Moon. Full moons always rise near sunset, opposite the sun, so in the east as the sun sets in the west. The last quarter moon will fall on the 10th of June at 8.31pm. The last quarter moon rises around midnight and is at its highest point as the sun rises. The new moon will fall on the 18th of June at 5.37am. The new moon rises at sunrise in the same part of the sky as the sun and so cannot be seen. The first quarter moon falls on the 26th of June at 8.49am. The first quarter moon rises near noon and is at its highest point as the sun sets.
In the darkling woods, the trees are rustling and shimmering with an almost summer breeze. You wander peacefully until you hear voices. A gleam of light between trees, and you stumble upon a gathering in a clearing, where a song is just beginning in the light of a crackling fire. This song is called Tau Hvridvis, which means the wonderful month is come, and specifically the month of June. And it's a song that I grew up singing from when I was a toddler. We sing it in school, and it's very, very short lyric. It's it's a round, so you know the melody when people come in at different points in the same melody, and it harmonizes with itself. And it's a very lovely one, and you will definitely hear a very familiar bird within this song. So, Dwani, thou have it this. Thou have it this, the heaven can buy here. Achalawira kukun canin paravanainti. Thank you for listening to this month's episode. Please do like and subscribe. All episodes are released on the first of each month. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also enjoy my book, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2023, which this year is themed around the solar system and signs of the zodiac. It is also available as an audiobook, read by me, Leah Lainderts. As the Season Turns is produced by Jeff Bird and researched by Catriona Bolt. In addition to my own contributions, Zoe Gilbert, author of Mischief Acts, wrote and read The Herbarium. The folk song was played by Welsh musician Gwilym Bowen-Rees, who also provided music for the intro. Alice Boyd is the sound recordist and designer who is travelling the UK through the year to make field recordings 
for each month's found sounds. This month's found sound was recorded at Wakehurst, a wild botanic garden in Sussex managed by the Royal Botanic Gardens Kew. It is a garden with a difference, a living laboratory where science and research are in action across the landscape and a site of European significance for biodiversity. You can find out more about Wakehurst at q.org forward slash Wakehurst. We are particularly excited for this summer's Rooted exhibition, a series of outdoor installations celebrating trees in all their glory. This podcast has been created by Fern. Fern is an organic fragrance maker based in Somerset. Working with the rhythms of the seasons, they blend, barrel age and bottle four fragrances a year. Each fragrance is made to order for the names on the Fern production ledger. To join the ledger and find out more, visit www.fern.co or visit the link in the podcast description.